Hello, welcome again to the episode of the Let People Prosper series. My name is Dr. Vance Skin. I hope you're having a prosperous day. Well, today I'm delighted to have on someone who is on the front lines to think about tech, think about social media, think about parents and the roles of government that inter intertwine with all of these. And it's none other than Taylor Barkley. Taylor, welcome to Let People Prosper show. Thanks for having me on, Vance. I've been a big fan. It's an honor. Awesome. Well, it's it's a pleasure to have you on the program. Been following your work for a long time. I was on your podcast a while yeah. back. Radical Optimism. And uh, people should go check that out wherever they get their podcasts. And it was a great discussion. So uh, thank you for that opportunity. I was like, hey, we of need course. to talk about some other stuff too. <laughs> I'm excited. I'm All excited. Right, this will be fun. It will. Well, for the audience, let me go ahead and, and we're recording this on August 24, 2023. So if anything comes up between now and this is re being released, but, <laughs> but we have a lot of things we want to talk about to get this information out whenever this is released. But for the audience, let me go ahead and uh, give them your bio and then we'll Great. jump right into it. So Great. Taylor Barkley is a director of technology and innovation at the Center for Growth and Opportunity, where he manages the research agenda strategy and represents the technology and innovation portfolio. His primary research and expertise are at the intersection of culture, technology, and innovation, all the stuff we're going to talk about today. Yeah. His writing has been featured and published in outlets, including uh, the Technology and Society Magazine, Scientific American, and USA Today. And he's been on Fox Business, Marketplace, and other talk radio and podcasts. He has extensive experience working with state-based technology policy projects with most major federal technology policy topics. Previously, he was a director of technology and innovation at Stand Together Trust and Stand Together. He was also the government affairs manager at the Competitive Enterprise Institute and the assistant director of outreach for technology policy at the Mercatus Center at George Mason University. All good stuff. He yeah. is originally from the Southern California. We will hold that against him. Uh, and a graduate <laughs> of Taylor University in Indiana. It's kind of interesting. Taylor from with the Taylor University. That's cool. It is. Nice, nice. Uh, with a double major in history and political science. He and his family live in the Washington, D.C. area. And for links to his professional and personal writings, you can visit www.taylorb, as in dog, barkley.com. So with all that said, Taylor, let's get right into it. The first question is, why do you do what you do every day? Man, I, I love it. I mean, that's the, yeah. the first the first reason. But I think I'm also I'm motivated for I think it's important. I think the world I work in, public policy, you know, appreciate you going through the bio. I mean, it's been over a decade now that I've been doing this. And I think what gets me out of the bed, I'm, I'm out of bed in the morning is I'm persuaded that public policy has a huge, can have a huge impact on people's, you know, everyday well-being, uh, their their prosperity, if you will. And that's made, been made abundantly clear to me in the technology innovation policy space. So one example, uh, you know, there's a couple of stark examples. So, you know, the internet that, you know, we are, we are taking advantage of right now is yeah. an amazingly beneficial tool that was basically, uh, as uh, my former colleague and friend Adam Thier says, it was mm -hmm. it was born free. So it was, the internet was not born into a public policy environment that said, you need to have a license before you start a website. You need to, you know, make sure you file these papers before you engage in social media, for example. It was actually, you know, started, the internet was developed as a government project and then was only made what it is today because it was uh, released into, you know, the commercial world, the private world. You know, and then on the other side, there are innovations and technologies that are born into captivity. You know, I think any anyone who tries to start a TV station right now that's broadcast over the air is born into a, a maze of video regulations at the Federal Communications Commission. And we, you know, healthcare is, of course, rife with, uh, you know, new ideas are born into captivity. And I will mean, say like there's there's reasons for that, many of them good, right? We, it's yeah. 
I think it's good that uh, drugs have an approval process, but there can be a downside as well. And, you know, like economist Alex Tabarrok talks about like the invisible graveyard of FDA approval processes. The fact yeah. that things take so long to be approved means that people aren't getting treatments that could actually help them or save their lives. So then that's, and I've even put like health into kind of the innovation world. And that's another reason I get out of bed uh, is just the, our lives have so dramatically improved because of technology and innovation. The life I live would be unobtainable for any amount of money to any emperor who's lived throughout most of human history. And that's yeah. because of tech and innovation. Yeah. All right, that's awesome, man. I, I love all the work that you're doing and continue to do. And I mean, you've, you've seen a lot of it as well, kind of with your own family and some of the challenges that y'all had over the last yeah. few years. And, yep. you know, um, I don't know how much you want to share about that, but I know that you have had some of that and you've seen kind of God's grace through those situations. And absolutely, man, just think about where you and, and Rachel's lives would be had we not had these this technology and innovation, oh. right? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you were very public about the story. And, yeah, yeah. You know, the, the short version, my wife had a, a tumor in her spinal cord, uh, a cancerous tumor in her spinal cord that, you know, if she, so we a, probably wouldn't have been discovered even, you know, 20 years ago, maybe, but 50 years ago, 100 years ago, absolutely not. She just would have died a slow, agonizing and painful death. Man. Uh, and we wouldn't have known why. Yeah. And so it's amazing to think now there were, there was a technology to discover it. Then there were uh, doctors who were in cutting edge of research to remove it. And then recovery and physical therapy programs and medicines and whole structure to uh, enable her to live a, a normal life. You know, she's yeah. in a wheelchair most of the time, but it's, you know, thanks to technology and innovation that uh, she can do that. And, you know, like finally, when we were in the midst of like the darkest points, it was social media yeah. and the internet and connectivity that allowed us to, gosh, get so much help from our, our network scattered around the globe. I mean, yeah. people leading prayers in Ukraine and in India, all around the US that just would have been unheard of. Uh, even, I don't know, would have been yeah. difficult to do 20 years ago, but doable, you know, 30 years ago, much, yeah. much more difficult. So it, we're, we, we think about that often. And Taylor, what's, what's interesting about that too, right, is that um, that was right after you had your first baby. Yeah, true. And yep. During that yep. whole process, you know, and yep. now I remember praying for y'all a lot throughout that whole uh, thanks, process man. as well and everything. And, um, but it, but it's interesting, even with, with kids, you know, I've got three kids now and seeing, you know, how much things have changed from the technology of being <laughs> yeah. in the, in, in there, what they can do and everything else. There's just, there's so much going on that people, I don't know that we have the credit for technology of how much it's really improved our life. Hmm. The, the standard of living right. has just dramatically changed. And, um, I know we had talked a little bit about going through some stuff, but we're going to talk about some age verification and, you know, social yes. media and all that. But, yes. I, but I wonder, given where we started here, may actually talk more about your work on abundance. And then we can sure. move in, into that. The technology space is just a huge part of the abundance. And so like, you know, as you know, my Let People Prosper, I feel like it's God's calling for my life and is what yeah. I've been doing and get a piece yeah. of economics and work in public policy and, you know, doing all this stuff. And and I really feel like the prosperity isn't just material things. It's um, mm. psychological, Agreed. spiritual, intellectual. I mean, it's it's really about you doing you. And, 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 mm -hmm. and ultimately, I feel like that's a lot of God's grace and where the direction are of your, your job that you're going to have and things of that nature. But there's so mm -hmm. much that goes into that um, because we deal with abundant resources to do things. But I, but I wonder kind of what you, your thinking is whenever you're thinking about abundance and, and your research. That's a driving vision for what we do at the Center for Growth and Opportunity. Mm -hmm. So I work on our tech and innovation portfolio, but we also do uh, research, economic policy research and immigration and energy as well. And I mean, tying all those together, those are, I think, 
some of the core components of having, you know, an abundant and prosperous future. So, you know, we were discussing a paper I'd co-authored with my colleagues in energy and immigration on uh, what policies promote abundance. And there we, we published this last year, about a yeah. year ago, and we'll probably update it in the next, you know, year or so because it's, it's always changing. But there we tried to, we thought through, like, if I were sitting across from, uh, you know, the president of the United States, a chief regulator at one of the agencies, a member of Congress, what would what would we tell them are like the key policies to change in order for America to realize a more abundant future? And, you know, with abundance is this word that, um, <laughs> you know, everyone probably has a different definition. Sometimes I'll tell this to people who aren't in the policy world and they just look at me like, what are you talking about? And abundance uh, is is many concepts, but it's it's I think you know there are, my energy colleagues capture it well, and you know, immigration too. Like I love our immigration tagline: "People bring prosperity." You know, people bring ideas, they bring energy and in, ingenuity. And you know, how many tech companies are led by immigrants? You know, I think uh, what Google and Microsoft, yeah. Indian immigrants. It's amazing. These are the largest companies in the world, and they're based in America. And with you know, an open immigration policy. And in the paper, we outline key, you know, policy proposals to open uh, America to more people and energy. I love the the slogan. It was actually coined by, I think, by the the um, chairman of the Atomic Energy Commission, an old mm. something that was folded in the Department of Energy, the vision of having energy that's too cheap to meter. So there imagine we yeah. paid an energy bill like a broadband bill without yeah. data caps. We just like, well, now I pay $50 a month for unlimited data. Like imagine paying $50 a month for unlimited energy and imagine too, not just energy that's, you know, wood fired, coal fired, but like yeah. re uh, renewable, clean and like nuclear is before us. Yeah. We've like, there's another policy decision that we've made of, mm -hmm. you know, an abundance of caution, no new nuclear plants have really been open lately. And that's, that's, we could be we through the roof in energy production and energy is linked to so many of our daily activities. And yeah, you know, you're, you're probably sitting in an air conditioned room in a very hot place right now. Yes. I am sitting in an air conditioned room in a very hot place. And <laughs> yeah. It would just be wildly different. Here we are using a computer with high definition video, all this stuff. And it's made possible by energy. And we can, we can boost that through policy decisions. And, you know, with yeah. tech and innovation, it's, I think in as many ways we're living in an abundant future, right? I think, you know, the amount of information available to anyone with a smartphone which is, I think, you know, half the global population, or we're talking, you know, three and a half billion people, the entertainment options. Mm. Uh, I mean, I, you know, Rachel and I, my wife and I, we sit down and want to watch some TV. And it's like, we have to run through this list of like, instead of just, you know, a few channels or, you know, 200 years ago, entertainment yeah. wasn't much of a thing because there wasn't electric lights. So you just go to bed when the sun goes down, unless you want to like squint and read by yeah. candlelight. Now it's like for pennies, we're getting world-class entertainment at any moment of the day. And it's more than we even know what to do with. So yeah. I think there's, but there's still like policy decisions and, you know, making broadband connectivity cheaper, healthcare innovations more available and faster that we can uh, achieve through policy choices. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's good. Good, Taylor. And, you know, I think um, it goes through like the recommendations and I'll put all these at the show notes page at vanskin.substack.com oh, or vanskin.com is the easier way to get there. But it's, you know, encouraging competitive tech markets, improving the FDA approval process, speeding up clean energy development enabling secure and affordable access to electricity, boosting entrepreneurship and innovation through mm. immigration and building a better pathway for skilled immigration. I mean, I think all those are, are key uh, getting at some of the fundamental issues that we face every day, um, yeah. whether it be in the healthcare with FDA holding back and patents and all these things of, you know, sure. how many more solutions, how many people, more people would be healed, not, not just by, by God, but, but through some of these innovations that take oh, place, yeah. 
had we the FDA process not be so not be so long? <laughs> yeah, well, I, that's an important thought process, Vance. And it's, yeah. I even forget to do it. Like I have a colleague who reminds me is like like if we talk about uh, abundance in certain ways, we can we can leave I think like almost a sci-fi vision of the future on the table. So mm. it's it's thinking about like what could we actually do now with the ideas we have, or even the current technologies we have, if you know we make certain public policy choices that kind of clear away the pathway for entrepreneurs for the market to I think fulfill that and I, you know people can like bristle and say like well why do we need a world with you know 200 you know two hundred thousand dollar per capita gdp yeah like that's too much money but it's like well think of all that that could afford it's better healthcare. Right. it's it's better housing it's better uh education opportunities it's that should be the the norm and yeah um you know there's all sorts of charts and you're an economist and can do better than, than i but just like kind of seeing if, if we made these certain tweaks in like growth, total factor productivity growth rates, for instance, like decisions 20 years ago, we'd be like way up here in terms mm -hmm. of, you know, wealth and income and opportunity. And that's for everyone. It's not just for the elites. It's not just for the high income earners. It's it's for everyone. It's yeah. bringing up the whole whole economy. And I think that's, you know, part of the abundance vision as well. Yeah, no, that's good, Taylor. And I think it's something else that I think about as an economist, you mentioned that it's not just abundance for the upper income. It's not just the no, abundance no. for the middle class. And in fact, a lot of the reasons why I got into economics was to help the poor, to help the neediest among yes. us. And it and and when you have more abundance, they're the ones that are going to benefit the most at the end yep. of the day because yep. they're also improving. And there's talks about inequality and it's it's measured differently and there are some efforts out there that actually show that, you know, there's not that much inequality as much anymore as what there mm, used to be, right, depending right. on how you measure it and you take account of all earnings that are being paid and everything else. And I kind of think there's a little bit too much concern about inequality. As long as the mm. upper income and lower incomes are both moving up, we're all improving. We're doing better over time um, because yeah. ultimately the solution that some people come up with is more government. We need we right. need to have inequality. We need to have higher taxes and redistribute the income and have government come in. At the same time, they're shrinking the pie. I, yeah, I want to see right. the pie get bigger so that everyone can flourish more. And that's what I, it goes back to these key points, which I really like that you have here is about technology. And that technology mm -hmm. is going to help us in so many ways. I mean, if you think about it, you're saying 100, 200 years ago or even 100 years ago, the technologies yeah. are so much different now oh, that yeah. we can drive, we can get in a car and basically know that it, it's going to work for the most part, as long as you're yes. keeping up with it and everything. Uh, we've got running water anytime that we want. I mean, there's some things that are just so fundamental and that we just take for granted every day that that some places still don't have that yeah. access to that. And I think that's another thing that's abundant is that we can't, and Taylor, I'd love to get your thoughts on this, is that sometimes yeah. right now, it seems like we're so focused on America, which is important. We live in America. True. I want America to flourish, but we're not the only humans living on this globe and right. Earth, right? That there are people in a lot of other countries that aren't living in abundance yet. Um, and we've, we've got to make sure we don't lose sight of them. But I, I wonder what your thoughts are there. Yeah, that is, that is important. So, you know, my, my organization, most of my thought, I know the American context, but like it yeah. really is global. And I think having a, a global perspective is important. And we were seeing more and more people brought out of poverty. Like, uh, you know, th there's foundations that track these numbers about how many people are living on $2 a day or less. And it, I mean, yeah. that is just a de decreasing number of people, which is just fantastic to see. And, you know, while, while you were talking, I was actually looking up our recent poll. We do this poll twice yeah. a, or once a year on abundance, actually. Okay. And we call it our abundance poll. So if you just, you know, Google abundance poll CGO, it'll come up. And we asked our, our question each year on when should someone be born to have a thriving and fulfilling life? And you and I have been talking about history here, right? Like 100 years ago, 200 years ago. So we asked, you know, 200 years ago, right now, or 200 years in the future, where it'd be better to be born to have a thriving, fulfilling life. And actually, I'm always surprised that like 
each year, more people say that 200 years ago would be better to be born than even in wow. the future. The major, most people say if there's like a dominant answer of those three, it's it's right now. But then 42% uh, and 41% said not sure. Hmm. And I just find that fascinating. Like people, this is, you know, a whole suite of podcasts, like why, why there's that thinking. But being a history major, you mentioned that, you know, at the top, uh, I think about that all the time. That's another thing, you know, every day, just the difference in my life between that and my ancestors, the, you know, I, most people stayed put geographically, 40% of children died. I think even 50% of children died before reaching the age of four. Hmm. Just think of like that massive amount of loss of life. Yeah. So even like pre-contraception, right? Like you and yeah. I, if we were, if we, you know, if we're alive to our age now, yeah, uh, not killed by disease or in childhood, probably would have had uh, a spouse die of yeah. childbirth, if not disease. We would have multiple children die from malnutrition, disease, and that was just the norm. Yeah, darkness was the norm. Having lack of education, having you know, uh, tyrannical governments, <laughs> dominant yeah. war, the the amount of war and violence, and you know. Uh, Steven Pinker has written about this mm -hmm. extensively and how the world is getting less violent. And I just think, how how are we in this place, you know, like our poll found where fewer people think it's better to live in the future than 200 years ago when, you know, if you're a woman, you didn't have voting rights. Yeah. If you could even live in a country that had votes, <laughs> you know, yeah. a, you know, an electoral process, yeah. you know, property wasn't available to most women, minorities. Uh, it just kind of boggles the mind how much it's improved. And that's for multiple reasons. But I think technology has been at the core of that and like growth and you know, uh, the economy and, you know, Deirdre McCloskey talks about the hockey, mm. you know, the hockey stick graph, right? Like the, mm -hmm. I think it's, you know, what was it GDP per capita? Yeah, uh, that's if right. If I recall correctly. Um, it's just, you know, for most of human history, it's flat, flat, flat. And then you hit like late 1700s and it goes whoop, like a hockey yes. stick. So yes. anyway, yeah. I think tech is at the core of that. Yeah, no, I, I think that, that that's true. And there's, there's so much to that and, and energy, you know, oil and gas, like you yes. were saying earlier, was a big part of that totally. fueling yes. that technology and everything else that was going on. Also, uh, you know, I, I, a lot of my work is on institutions. And so I would also say that moving more towards capitalism, like free mm, markets yes, and, and limiting government, yep. that yep. helps to unleash that the entrepreneurial spirit. You know what I mean? Of what's all going on and, and, and the new technologies that can come out because they weren't stifled. They, they There were more opportunities and also to be able to have that private property to gain the profits and also right. losses. Yeah, you know, I've, I've been trying yeah, to talk true. about this more and more in my podcast is that we've got we've to be okay with like failure. Too many people just want us not to fail at all. And I don't know about you, Taylor, but I failed a lot. And, and that's how I learned. I have. And, oh, yeah. And, yeah. And throughout <laughs> the, that process, the innovation process, there's a lot of success and failure. And um, and that's what socialism, I think, and communism and other types of, of government or economic institutions, they try to weed that out, but mm -hmm. at the cost of more abundance. Right. Flourishing, right. because that breeds mediocrity, because now there's no incentive to do any of that. Yeah. Um, and, and, like, you you know, like, and I know, like, uh, failing sucks. Yeah. Like it hurts. It's painful. Um, and I think, you know, so those policies are often motivated from that yes. I think good place of like, let's, let's help alleviate the pain, right? Let's like right. get as much of the pain out of the process. And I think that's, it's good, but you're right. Like in the long, in a long run or medium run, even the short term, it can backfire and it doesn't yep. actually help. No, no. All right. Well, that was a lot of good stuff on abundance. And I, I really want to move into this sure. um, new poll you have that's out and, and, and talk about, that with dealing with social media and tech companies and 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 how people are thinking about those now. Yeah, so so we at the CGO we love polling. We partner with YouGov for all our polls, and they're a really great great firm. So we have that abundance poll. We've done that twice. Uh, we do that annually, and that can be found on our website. Uh, but this this next poll that's uh, will have 
been released when this podcast releases. We've been doing it uh, since July of 2020, and we've had how many now? Six, six polls. So there's nice longitudinal data, as the, the term is, on um, some questions that we've asked over time. And the main one being uh, Americans trust towards companies. So I think the specific question is like, how much do you trust, you know, the companies below with your, to be keep your data secure or something like that. So we've asked that repeatedly for about Google, Amazon, Microsoft, Apple, Facebook, TikTok, Zoom, Twitter, and the government, federal, state, and local. And what I found fascinating is that trust uh, in this new poll has gone up again. We wow. saw a trust increase for all the, the tech companies, at least, except for TikTok. TikTok is the one, let's see here, where it has declined again. I'm looking at mm. the numbers here, fresh, hot off the press. Our last poll was January 2023, and then our most recent one was August 2023. Uh, TikTok declined in trust by three points, but Google went up by two August. So this is like January to August, August data up two points, Amazon down one, Microsoft up one. And then the government data is interesting. Federal government's about the same state as well and local. And of course, like this poll was conducted, uh, you know, July, 2020 and through most of the polls through COVID. And I think that has something to do with levels of trust, right? Um, how could it not? But we've also, yeah. uh, you know, included some new questions about, so that it was the January poll. We include questions about, we'll talk about this later in the show, um, you know, levels of trust for platforms to be safe for children to use. Yeah. And there I was just looking at this data, you know, for the, the first time. Let's see, trust has gone down for Facebook by one point. Amazon's the same. It's the highest, actually, of all the tech companies at 44% levels of trust. Instagram is is down in August by uh, three points, Snapchat as well. So I think, you know, it's interesting, this discussion about, you know, safety for kids online is obviously having an effect on people's belief and levels of trust for platforms to be safe for kids to use. We also have some questions. It looks like a colleague is actually working on this document right now. So it's, it's <laughs> nice. updated. Uh, yes. Questions about AI. And this is actually in our most recent abundance poll, which, you know, I do know off the top of my head. We asked in that poll how worried people are about AI displacing jobs generally and then displacing their own job. And when we asked it generally, it was about 70% of the population was worried to somewhat worried. But when we asked about their own job, it was only about 30% of the population that was mm -hmm. worried or somewhat worried. And I think this is in polling. It's called the, the third party effect where, you know, you think something is a bigger deal and a bigger problem for other people, but not so much for yourself. And that really captured, and I actually wrote about this in a Fox News op-ed, um, that finding in particular. And I think it goes to, you know, when we talk about these notions of AI, artificial intelligence, in a general way, it can become big, scary, and have a huge impact. But then when we think about our own lives and maybe how it could potentially even like do the job I'm doing, for instance, like an AI tool, there it can be like, well, wait a minute, like I, you know, I know like all the particularities that go into my my work and it can maybe become like less of a, a possibility. So in this poll and we'll, all these polls, we put the full data set and charts and like kind of top line findings on our website. And so people can really dive in there. But we've been, you know, it's been fascinating to see over the last what, three years now, three and a half years or so, those levels of trust kind of going like this and then even like increasing and now like, you know, increasing a little bit for some and decreasing for others. Yeah, yeah. No, that's fascinating. And um, uh, thank you for sharing that. And, and it'll, be, it'll be great. And I'll put, I'll put a, a link in the show notes page to this as well. Great. Um, yeah, we'll have the fresh charts there yeah, to kind of yeah. highlight these. So it's really, exactly. it really pops visually. Yeah, that'll be great because it, it is fascinating though, because of the trust, um, distrust, we've seen a lot of government influence or the tips to put more government influence with social media, 
um, age verification, especially for minors, you know, the, the, between the right. age of 13 to 18. And there's different ones that are out there. Um, and, you know, I was looking at, you know, and I also know that at least with previous polls, y'all have looked at, you know, would you share your ID to yes. access social media? And I, I don't know what the newest, latest one is, but the, the last one that y'all did um, that came out said that for sharing mine, completely disagree was 41%. Yep. Uh, sharing child's was 54%. And if you add in somewhat disagree, it would that's another 14%. So that's 68%, nearly 70% of people saying, you know what, I don't really want to share my child's yes. stuff. But but that's exactly what's happening. Um, you know, a bill passed in in Texas where I live near, you know, I live near Austin, Texas. And so there was a bill passed here that you're basically gonna have to provide your information online. Um, other states like Utah is this kind of the the Utah model, I guess, is age verification is this next thing. And and I think it goes into what all you're saying there about trust. Who do you trust? Who do you not? And and, and Taylor, to be frank with you, like my, I, I'm more distrustful of government. I, mm. I don't want government to be telling me as a parent what to do. But that kind of seems like where there's some disagreement about what the next steps are. So I wonder how how do you talk about it though? What what, what how do you think about this? It's a big complex issue. And yeah, I'm glad you brought up the polling. Like it is, it is, it remains unpopular in our new data as well. Okay. Uh, you know, this, I think it, it's, it's motivated from a, a good place. The internet is not an entirely safe place, especially, yeah. you know, for adults, for children. Like it's, I was reading, this is like somewhat internet, but like 300, $330 million has been reported lost to the Federal Trade Commission on text scams. And, you know, we're all familiar with email scams and the amount of spam, uh, pornography use, child sexual abuse material. I mean, it's especially with the, the you know, CSAM is the, the, the acronym for child sexual abuse material. And, you know, I, mean, I want to be cognizant of, you know, maybe young years listening and, you know, general listenership, because it, it gets very vile, very fast. So like, that's one component. And, you know, when we talk about, you know, age verification, there are a few debates happening right now. And there's the you know, states have passed laws, age requiring age verification for access to pornographic websites. Hmm. And so some uh, porn sites have pulled out of states have left states because, you know, it's just not conducive to running their business. So these laws require submission. I think it's a government ID even for basically to prohibit minors from accessing it. So in order for it, this is across, you know, no matter what happens on the internet, in order for firms to comply with age verification laws, they need to know the age of all their users. So this isn't mm -hmm. something that just impacts minors. If it, the law is written to protect minors, it impacts every user. So this is happening right now with uh, pornographic websites. And that's one, I think, distinct set of issues that have its own you know, free speech implications. Because with age verification, you have uh, the government saying you need to submit identification before you participate in your speech. Mm. And that has severe First Amendment <laughs> implications, rightly so. Yeah. I think it's a different question when it comes to, you know, pornographic websites versus, you know, what's been happening in all these other states with social media websites. So yeah, you mentioned a Texas law passed, um, Arkansas has passed a bill, Utah, mm. where the Center for Growth and Opportunity is based, yeah. passed a law that the Utah bill, and they're all like a little bit different, but um, most have been, you know, requiring parental consent before a minor under the age of, you know, usually 16 or 17 can sign up for a social media site. They're the same thing applies. And I think it's, but it, so, you know, I mentioned the issues of dangers on the internet with, you know, uh, scams, crime, pornography, sexual, child sexual abuse material. But then there's also this other dimension that I think comes into play with these social media sites, uh, mental health impact. So, you know, whenever we just, I discussed with someone, these social media safety bills, it's like, what problem are we trying to solve? 
I think that's really, really important to this to the discussion and can really influence the policy solutions that are set about. And, you know, I think there's there's near universal, I'm mean, just gonna say universal agreement that, you know, stopping CSAM is an important priority. Tech yeah. companies are on board with that. And I, I wrote a paper uh, in January on how policymakers can keep uh, minors safe online. And in my approach, I think it's best to triage these problems where there's a clear harm and a clear solution. And I think that child sexual abuse material falls into that category. Absolutely. We know what the problem is and then we have solutions to deal with it. It's illegal. No site can yeah. legally host that content. Yeah. People will, I think, incorrectly bring up Section 230 as a way out of it, but that's not correct. The, you know, Section 230 actually, you know, well, prohibits, it does not protect federal crimes, federal criminal, you know, criminal content. That is what that is. And then there's like another category of, um, and a clear solution there, I think, is providing um, law enforcement with resources it needs to combat it. You know, yeah. it's at the federal, state, local level. And there's actually a bill introduced last Congress, I think will be reintroduced soon, a uh, bipartisan bill in all likelihood that would provide, uh, I think, $4 billion for federal law enforcement to deal with this issue. Because mm. over and over and over, it's just they are under-equipped to deal with the complexity of these cases. So that's mm. kind of the first problem. You know, another problem is with, I would say, middling, like, what is the problem? Like, we're not quite sure what the problem is, and we're not quite sure what the solution is, but issues of privacy for, mm. for kids online. You know, I think this is something that uh, I want to work to solve as a policy researcher. And I think, you know, throw this out there for the world. It's, you know, in, in the American context, we fall into this. You know, if you're if you're someone who's under 13, you fall into a set of regulations that are very restrictive. So there's this set of regulations that the Federal Trade Commission oversees that basically makes it requires parental consent if companies are going to gather data on users under the age of 13. What essentially that means is that there aren't websites designed for users under the age of 13 because it's so expensive. So it's like you either fall into that world or you're treated like a 45 year old adult. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, I think there's like room there to like really, and it's it's tough because with the internet, you're dealing with issues of speech, you're dealing with a, a huge economic uh, growth driver in the American and global economy. So you wanna be very careful about not you know, killing that innovation. And you also want to be careful about not abridging people's rights to free speech. So like, what is the, 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 the problem out there for you all to solve, all your listeners to solve is like, what yeah. is the, the balanced privacy policy for users, for minors, you know, age, say 13 to 18. And like the, the third category of issues, which I write about, and that's the kind of triage effect is I think maybe the more popular, it's often discussed in the media is impacts of mental health mm -hmm. on teens and social media use. You know, Jonathan Haidt, famous researcher, is out there saying that there is a clear causal link. I think he aims particularly at teen girls between rates of social media use and negative mental health. So, you know, a causal link, not just correlational. I mean, there's, we can nerd out about you know, the differences. Yeah. There. But I think it's a really important distinction. Yeah. But there's, there's, so there, there's reams of studies, everyone coming out, you know, here and there. Seems like every week there's some new study that's released, you know, purporting to uh, make the connection one way or the other. And you know, most recently, there was a there's a very significant study of came out from Oxford looking at Facebook user data from 2008 to 2019 of nearly a million people in 72 countries around the world, coupled with Gallup's uh, I think World Poll, where they're asking people like, "How'd you feel today? Like, did you were you insulted? Were you, you know, it goes through like kind of qualitative findings." And these researchers looked at Facebook use. And that those findings and then found basically uh, no effect in negative well-being, which kind of bucks the, you know, Jonathan Haidt thesis that there is a, you know, at least correlational link, if not causal link between social media use and negative mental health. And I think that popular discussion 
has led to, you know, all sorts of things. But, you know, policymakers saw that and they introduced these bills in Utah and Arkansas and Texas. And I think we'll see it in more states and either some federal efforts to either ban social media use or restrict it for minors based on those, I think, very tenuous findings that, you know, overlaid in this is a history of humanity's uh, tendency to have moral panics about new technologies. And, you know, there's a fascinating and fun Twitter account, or I guess X account now, uh, called Pessimist Archive. And hmm. they pull out newspaper articles reacting to, and they're a website as well. I think if you go to pessimistarchive.org, you can find interactive articles and organized by technology, you know, the radio, novels, teddy bears, automobile, airplanes, on and on and on. You know, there were concerns about comic books, you know, mm. creating mental health issues in children. Novels were, you know, a vast concern. And novels weren't really a thing until the late 1700s. We kind of take it for granted today and, you know, another benefit of technology. But, yeah, you know, people, you know, were actually fearful and you can read their words and newspaper clippings about their concerns that like, okay, if, if, Teenage boys are spending all this time, all this time in fanciful universes. That's going to make them criminals. It's going to make mm. them delinquents. They're yeah. not going to be in the real world. And it's it's funny. It's like, oh wow, you, you plop that into you know social media debate today. Yeah. It's very similar. And I think that's just something to be cognizant of. Video games were another one for oh, a long time. Yes. Yeah. And th that debate is pretty much. I mean, it's, it, there were congressional hearings on violence in video games in the early 1990s, and it you know it led to some I think good solutions. But you know now uh, I think it was the American Psych. Psychological Association that actually changed its position mm. where, you know, 10 years ago, their position was there is a correlation between violent video games, violent behavior. And now they've said, actually, the more research has been done, there's not a link. And yeah. that's this is another kind of like interesting yeah. thing with debates. It's like, we're still so new. We're yep. still figuring it out. The The social media platform of today is not going to be the one of even like a year from now, like yes. for all we know. And, you know, there are concerns about MySpace. <laughs> yeah. When uh, now it's like, what, what are you talking about for yeah. most young users? Um, you boomer, what's going on? <laughs> so I don't, I don't say this to like yeah. discount the concerns of legislators yeah. or, right. you know, well-meaning advocates. It's just like, it's, to me, it's, it's really important to like, okay, if I'm encountering new technology, like this is the default human position to kind of fear the new. I think it's yeah. kind of, you know, how we're wired for good or for ill. And it's a, a tendency just to be aware of. Yeah. Uh, all great points. Thank you for laying that out so well, Taylor. I think, you hit on all the key things that I mean, um, it, it always goes back to uh, in one view from what Milton Friedman said, right? Don't judge a policy by its intentions, because I think you're right that, that there's a lot of good intentions with these yes, types of policies totally. and the discussion and everything else. You got to judge them by their results. Mm -hmm. And and what I'm really concerned about are those results, um, yeah. because yeah. we are going to see a lot of the seen, but we're not going to see the unseen. You know, one of the things about with the age verification and trying to get minors off of the Internet and social media and everything else is we've also got to think about the unseen, the unintended consequences, what we call opportunity costs and economics yeah. Yeah. is what are these individuals that are on social media and whether or not that that's contributing to their health issues, which I think there's a lot mm -hmm. more involved than just social media just happening to be what they want to blame it on today instead right. of like video games or something else in the past. But what else are they going to be doing? Are those kids right. going to get off right. social media and then go commit more crime because they're out and about not at home on their social media? Are they going out and having unprotected sex? And so there's more yeah. babies. You know, there's a lot of... Those, those numbers are down, by the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Maybe so because of that, yeah. Yeah, and so there's, there's unintended consequences here that I just don't think that we have enough information to know about and we're mm. and we're trying to cut off 
this innovation that could take place because just this also means that we're going to start kids off at a younger age and probably not getting on these websites, social media, or just the internet in general, because you're like, I'm just going to ban you from that. And then they're not going to learn and and have this skill sets over time to, for one thing, do it for themselves and overcome obstacles. Cause that's ultimately why we're raising our kids so they can think on their own, but we're saying, no, we can't let you think about that. And, and also we're, we're getting in the middle of parenting where, Mm. Yeah, you know, just like with school choice, I, I'm I'm for school choice because I think parents know best. Yes. Now every parent may not do exactly what we'd want them to do, but they're going to do what's in their best interest at that time. And yep. I think that the same thing is true with social media. That the parents yeah. should be the one that's going to be in control of this. And the social media companies have put in a lot of tools, filter mm-hmm. tools, and everything mm-hmm. else that I use for my kids. Oh, great, great. You know, and and I think that those have been really helpful. And by the way, you could say no, like just don't let them play on this. If this is really what we want to do is that the consumer, the the, the parents have a lot more control. And and so handing that over these rights to government and politicians who are, who have a lot of issues, this just seems like a recipe for uh, a, a big problem in in the future, and yeah, but but I wonder kind of what 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 are your kind of responses to some of that? Oh man, yeah, I mean, so much good stuff there, Vance. I you know a couple of things to react to. You know, one one thing with the legislators and advocates of these bills at the state level, federal level, will say was the teen and social media context is you know parents are overwhelmed mm-hmm. and they don't know what to do, so we need the state to get involved. And another thing they often bring up at the same time is you know you'd mentioned you know. Uh, you know, just don't let them use devices. Some I've heard, you know, in interviews and other parents in real world say, well, it's like, well, what do you do when 29, you know, well, 30 out of the 30 of their friends have Snapchat and a smartphone? Like if your kid is all of a sudden the only one without it, like that can leave them out of what's happening on the weekend, you know, a community. Because that's what I mean, that's like a positive side of social media. It's yeah. a community, and especially for marginalized youth, LGBTQ population who are suffering. It's often an outlet in a community that they wouldn't have in maybe like a physical or geographical context. And I think, you know, we talked about, you know, the poor among us, like keeping that in mind in this context and maybe not in the material sense, but maybe in like a viewpoint sense. And one other th- assumption here that I think is, you know, often at play is, you know, when parents involve. So like, the Utah bill, I think, is written poorly in that it requires parental consent, but this mm-hmm. offers no guidance on like, how do you verify this person sending an email or a letter or whatever is actually the parent? So many kids don't even have parents. Mm-hmm. They have caregivers. And I think that's important to talk about in this context. It's not just parents. It's not, yeah. you know, two parent home that's, you know, in a suburb and everything's hunky dory. It's, you know, so many kids, unfortunately, and sadly, and I think that's why it's important to focus, important to focus on abundance, uh, yeah. growing up in context where they're being raised by a grandparent or another family member member or in the foster system or, you know, even worse. And I think we need to think about policy policies that would impact those populations. Yeah. And I I think that's, that's what's missed here with these laws. They're overly broad. And I think assume a lot of things and won't end up helping the populations that they're intended to help. And, you know, I'll finally, I'll I'll say about, you know, the, you mentioned the the solutions from tech companies. I think it's okay. And we should critique tech companies for being way too slow on the draw here. I think they've really missed an opportunity. I've been in tech policy for 10, over 10 years now. And I would talk with, you know, friends and family, and they would have no idea that Google, YouTube, Facebook at the time, Instagram had all these parental tools. Um, And there's a whole organization. Whole organizations yeah. out there for it. They have no yeah. idea they exist. Yeah, um, man. I, I was good. One thing I'm going to put in the show notes page is um, another great link here you have is uh, Key Resources for Parents, the CGO oh, social yeah. media toolkit. It talks about nonprofit orgs that are in this, 
social media like Google Families, YouTube Kids, uh, Meta's Education Hub, TikTok Safety Center, some of those groups like the Family Online Safety Institute, Common Sense oh, Media, yeah. Connect Safe. But anyway, I was going to put a link to that as well because you're you're right. There are so many resources out there. I yes. think a big part of this is education and, yep. and getting this information out there. I know there's some discussion about having even social media or internet discussion uh, classes, you know, yeah. K through 12. Yeah. I think we have to be careful about what how they're going to teach True. some of that because we're <laughs> given what's in a lot of the government schools, public schools out there. Yep. But but I think that that may that to me that's more heading in the right direction Agreed. of getting people educated about it because this goes to abundance as well. The, the mm -hmm. more education we've had, the more abundant that we've been able to be and we've been able to let people right. prosper overall. So as we're wrapping up here, it's been a great conversation. What, what would you like to leave us with? Maybe some optimism, some some pessimism, or, or what else would you like to leave us with? Oh, man, I I think, you know, with with the right cultural outlook and attitude, with the right, I think, public policies, we can, I think we and our children and their their kids can see a future that would, I think, look unfamiliar even to us and yeah. in a good way, right? Of, you know, cures for diseases that we just take for granted as uncurable today uh, for access to, you know, the amount of food that we see and have access to now, um, even for low income populations is just astounding. And I think that can continually improve, I think, with the right attitude and policy decisions. And I think just history demonstrates there's reason yeah. to be optimistic. I mean, right. It's we're, we're in an amazing time to be alive. And I think with uh, the choices we make today uh, in the policy and cultural context, we can see an even better future. And yep. I think just yeah, history, history backs that up. Uh, I agree. I'm thankful for all the work that you're doing. And um, God bless you, Taylor, and your family. Oh, and, thank uh, you, Vance. Yeah, thanks. and thank you so much. And um, I'm glad, it's glad to have you on. And we'll keep this conversation going. Um, for the great. audience, if, if you enjoyed this, please leave us a five-star rating. Go find this out on all the podcast outlets and share it with your friends and family so we can spread this information. It's really important about the, about our future and it, the, the abundance and the prosperity and online technology, all that good stuff. we got a lot more to do. So until next time, let people prosper. Mm -hmm.